Hey, I'm Zach. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. I hope that it encourages you. I hope it challenges you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's Word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. And if you don't, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our community here at Restore, whether that's coming to one of our Sunday gatherings or coming to one of our Restore groups. Either way, we would love to see you. You can get more information about that on our website at RestoreAustin.org. And I hope you enjoyed this week's video. resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most impactful event in the history of the world. It changed everything. I'm, I'm really not even being like hyperbolic here. I think it's the number one most significant thing to ever happen. And I don't even really think that there's a close second. Consider the evidence with me for just a second. How do we go from 12 uneducated, ordinary guys following a carpenter around to nearly one out of every three people in the world identifying themselves as a Christian. It happened because of the resurrection. You realize that Jesus never wrote a book. Not only that, he never actually wrote anything down that we know about. And yet there are more books written about Jesus than any other subject in the world. And the number one most selling, best-selling book in the history of the world is about Jesus. How does that happen? The resurrection. Jesus never composed a song, but there is more music written about him than any other subject in history. He never drew any pictures or did any sculptures, but more art has been made about Jesus than any other subject in the world. How does that happen? It's the resurrection. Think about it like this. Jesus never traveled more than 100 miles from where he was born. Did you hear that? He never traveled more than 100 miles from where he was born, and yet you can find followers of Jesus in virtually every city, town, village, and community across the planet. Why? Because of the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything, but here's my question for you this morning. Has it changed you? The resurrection changed the world, but has it changed you? As we dive into the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ over the next few minutes, I really want you to ask yourself that question. Has the resurrection changed me? Here's the story. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went down to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. When we left off last week, it was about 3 p.m. on Good Friday, and Jesus Christ had just breathed his last. The Savior of the world has died. I cannot imagine the depth of sorrow that his friends and family were feeling at this point. You see, not only did they love him deeply, they believed that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the whole world, the one that they'd been waiting for for thousands of years, finally come to earth to set everything right. They believe that he came down to restore the world to perfection, but now he has died at the very hands of the people he's come to save. After someone was crucified, the Roman government in the first century liked to leave them up on the cross for a few weeks in order to deter criminals from committing any violent acts. This was highly offensive to the Jewish people who believed that every deceased person must be buried immediately following their death. So the Romans and the Jews came to this compromise. The Romans said to the Jewish people, you can put any of your crucified nationals into this mass grave for criminals. So if any Jewish person was crucified, they'd immediately take them off the cross and they'd throw them into this mass grave for Jewish criminals. But that wasn't Jesus's fate. Here's chapter 19 of John's account. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Now, Joseph is a really important character in this story, but he's often overlooked. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which if you don't know, that was kind of the the Jewish religious council. It was the one that Jesus went through on his first trial, right? It was the one that they illegally and unjustly convicted him to death. It was this council of priests, We know from Mark's account that Joseph had been an actually a dissenting voice during that trial. That he had stood up and said, I think this guy is innocent and I think we should release him. And he dissented because secretly he was a disciple of Jesus. But he kept that hidden from the fellow priests because he was afraid that he would be killed also. But that all changes when Jesus dies on the cross. Joseph goes and asks Pilate for his body, a very public display of allegiance to Jesus Christ. This request from Joseph is incredibly courageous for a couple of reasons. Number one, Joseph is aligning himself with the man his fellow Jewish council members have just killed. 
He could have very easily been expelled from his prominent position on the Jewish council and even faced death because the Sanhedrin was continuing to try to round up Jesus' followers at this time and put them either in jail or to death. Number two, Joseph is also aligning himself with the man that the Roman government has just executed for treason. Just requesting Jesus' body from Pilate would have been enough to charge Joseph with treason as well. Now, this was especially dangerous because we know from other passages that Joseph was a man of great wealth. And so the Roman government traditionally targeted men like this that had great wealth to accuse them of things like treason so that they could put them to death and then take control of their estates. Joseph is fully aware that he is risking his livelihood and his very life to make this request for the body of Jesus, but he can no longer be a secret disciple. He's done hiding in the shadows. He's ready to tell them who he is. So he boldly asks for the body of Jesus and Pilate grants his request. So Joseph and a man named Nicodemus, who we heard about earlier in the gospel story, another formerly secret disciple of Jesus on the, on the Jewish council, they take Jesus and they prepare his body for burial. And then just as we sang a few minutes ago, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. Matthew's account, chapter 27. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite of the tomb. So timeline, it's still Friday. It's probably about 6 p.m., now, Sabbath day, which was the next day on Saturday, the observance of Sabbath day began when the sun set. And so if it's 6 p.m., we're really just a few minutes away from the sun setting, and it won't be over Sabbath until sunset the next day, a full 24 hours. And during that mandatory 24 hours of Sabbath rest, the followers of Jesus would have been understandably distraught. Because you see, not only had their savior and friend just died because of the Jewish Sabbath laws, they couldn't have even visited the tomb. They would have had to just sit and wait, anticipating, feeling terrible. But while the followers of Jesus are keeping the Sabbath day holy, the chief priests and elders are not. Here's the very next verse in Matthew's account. The next day, the one after the preparation day. So pause here. The preparation day is Friday. The next day is Saturday, the Sabbath, as I just said. So the, it was called, Friday was called the preparation day because they prepared everything to get ready for the Sabbath. They couldn't do certain types of work on the Sabbath. The next day, the one after the preparation day, so Sabbath, Saturday, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be even worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. With no regard for the laws that they were supposed to be upholding and keeping, the chief priests and elders asked Pilate for his help to make sure that no one can take Jesus' body from the tomb. Now, if you remember from earlier in the series, it's not the first time 
that these chief priests and elders have pushed away the law that they were supposed to be upholding for their own selfish gain. And again, just like the first time, they think that they are thwarting Jesus's plan. They thought that by arresting him, they were thwarting his plan. They thought that by trying him for murder, they were distorting his plan. They thought that by sentencing him to death, they were destroying his plan, but actually, they were enabling it. Actually, they were being used by God to make this plan successful. You see, the seal around the tomb that they put would have ensured and prevented any human tampering with the tomb. The priest thought this would keep people from stealing Jesus' body, and they were right. But it also made sure that when Jesus rose from the grave, no one could argue that the stone was rolled away with human hands. Isn't that incredible? They break the law to try to thwart Jesus' plan, and God uses it to ensure that very plan's success. That's exactly what happened next. Mark's account, chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And we know from other passages that these three women were all followers of Jesus who had been with him for a couple of years and even been with him when he died on the cross. They'd been able to do some of the burial preparation on Friday night as we saw, but they'd run out of time as the sun began to set on the Sabbath day. As you can imagine, they'd been anxiously waiting this entire time, 24 hours, to, to try to get up when the sun rose and go to the tomb and finish the burial preparations. So as soon as sun comes up Sunday morning, they set off for the tomb. But on the way, they realize they've forgotten something. They aren't going to be able to get to Jesus' body. They realize that not only can the three of them not move the stone, by this time they've probably heard the word that the Pharisees took the guards and sealed the whole tomb. But as they approach it, something happens. Matthew's account, chapter 28. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Now remember that, afraid yet filled with joy. We're going to come back to that in a second. And ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers in Galilee. There they will see me. Quick side note here, it's important to recognize that the very first people to tell the story of the resurrection are women. Way too many churches and Christians still hold to the antiquated and unbiblical view that women can't teach men about spiritual things. There are quite a few theological problems with that, but the biggest one may be right here. 
Jesus chooses a group of women to be the very first preachers and proclaimers of the resurrection. And these women do just that. They go to tell the disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead, and we pretty much know the rest of the story. This small group of Christians starts the very first church. And then from there, the whole world is changed. Starting with the testimony of those three women, the church of Jesus Christ has grown to 2.3 billion people as of the year 2015. There is no doubt in my mind that those men and women remember exactly where they were and exactly what they were doing when they first heard about the resurrection. We all kind of have moments like that in our lives, right? For some of you, it might be December 7th, 1941, the day that Japanese soldiers attacked Pearl Harbor, resulting in nearly 3,500 U.S. casualties and officially marking the United States' entry into World War II. For others, it could be November 22, 1963. On that day, just a little bit after noon, President John F. Kennedy was shot and killed in Dallas. Just a few years later, April 4, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated outside of his hotel room in Memphis, Tennessee. Or maybe it's been a little over 30 years ago, January 28, 1986. You and your family woke up that morning excited to watch one of the very first space shuttle launches live on television. And around 10.30 a.m., the space shuttle Challenger took off. And then 73 seconds into the launch, the space shuttle exploded on live TV, causing the death of everybody on board. For me, it was September 11th, 2001. I was in seventh grade. We had early morning football practice at the middle school that I went to. And so that means that we got up early, went there about 6.30 a.m., and we practiced all the way up through first period. And so up through first period, I, I shower, I get changed, I'm going to my second period class, and I could tell that something was going on. Like people were acting a little bit weird. The adults were acting a little bit weird. And I remember I walked into my second period class, and I had this incredible teacher, Ms. Viafanie, and she was one of the few teachers that could actually wrangle me into paying attention and learning something. And so I was always excited when I got to her class. And she was just this really engaged and active teacher that we all loved. But that day, she wrote an assignment on the board, grabbed her headphones, put them into her radio back at her desk, put them in, and didn't say anything. And it was so weird because that was so different from what she normally did. And I remember sitting there thinking, first of all, I'm not going to do this assignment. <laughs> Second of all, like, what's going on? And so one of my best friends at the time is a kid named Case. I remember I, I was like mouthing at him. He, he didn't play football, so he'd been in class all day. And I was like, what's going on, you know? And, and he scrawls something on this, on this notebook sheet of paper, and he holds it up to me across the classroom, and it says, someone blew up the World Trade Center. And I didn't, I didn't even know what that was. But I knew that something really serious had happened. And then as we get through our classes during lunch, they set up a bunch of TVs in the cafeteria, and pretty much the rest of us spent the whole day there. Our parents slowly came, picked us up, took us home. My dad actually went to Radio Shack back when it was still around, and he bought 
like 20 blank VHS tapes and he recorded news 24 hours straight for like seven days. I remember thinking like, our world's never going to be the same. I was only 12 years old, but that day is so vivid in my memory. September 11th changed me. We have other moments like this too, you know? Some of them are tragic, like I just mentioned, like maybe the loss of a loved one or a terrible diagnosis. Some of them are really beautiful. The birth of a child or marriage, maybe a new career starting out. But regardless of what they are, we all have moments in our lives when something happened that forever changed us. So back to our question from the beginning, is the resurrection one of those moments for you? Obviously, none of us were there, right? We didn't see the empty tomb or talk to an angel. We didn't get to look and touch the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. But we've heard the story. Even if today was your first time, you've now heard the story. You've heard the story of the resurrection, which really is just the culmination of the story of God's reckless love for us. You see, the world is broken. No no matter if you call yourself a Christian or not, we can admit that, right? We can admit that bad things happen, that we don't even really know why, that we hurt other people and that we hurt ourselves. And we've been trying to fix this brokenness from the very beginning, but nothing we have done has worked. But God didn't look down on the brokenness of our world and say, well, they brought that on themselves, even though we did. He didn't look down and say, they deserve that, even though we did. He was so moved by the brokenness in the world that he looked down and said, I'm going to enter into it. Just sit with that for a second. He looked down on the most broken parts of our world, and he left perfection to enter into the brokenness. He came down in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. He lived among the brokenness, but he never gave into it. He spent his life on earth healing the sick, caring for the poor, helping the hurting, and loving, deeply loving every person he came into contact with. And then he laid his life down. He took the brokenness of our world, my brokenness and your brokenness on himself, on the cross, and he laid his life down for it. And as he hung there, as he hung there on that cross, carrying the weight of the brokenness on our, of our world, he says, behold, I am making all things new. You don't have to be broken anymore. And then on the third day, he overcame death with life and he rose from the grave. And he offers that life, his life, to anyone who will place their faith in him. That's the story of the resurrection. That's the story of God's reckless love for you. No matter who you are, what you've done, his reckless love is for you. 
It changed the entire world. But has it really changed you? As I've asked that question a few times this morning, I know, I know there are some of you who have shouted yes in your mind every single time I've asked, and that is awesome, and it's beautiful. But others of you may be wondering, how do I know? How do I know if the resurrection has really changed me? I want you to look back with me at what happened when those women first heard about the resurrection and were forever changed by it. Matthew 28, 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. They were afraid, yet they were filled with joy. I don't know of a better description of the Christian life for me. You know, it's a little scary. Letting the resurrection change you means trusting Jesus with your very life, and it's kind of scary. Giving up control is hard. But I'm telling you from personal experience that the joy that comes with trusting your life to Jesus is like nothing else this world has to offer. They were afraid, and yet they were filled with joy, and then they took off running to tell everyone else what they had just seen and heard. And even though Jesus was about to ascend back into heaven and they would no longer walk and talk with him as they used to, their adventure with Jesus was just beginning. As these women took off running, they began the most incredible journey with Jesus. They were forever changed by the resurrection. Now, if you haven't been forever changed by the resurrection, I just want to ask, what's holding you back? What's stopping you? What's keeping you turned away from the reckless love of the God who laid his life down for you? If you haven't yet, Make this morning the morning that you trust your life to Jesus. Make this day the last day that you didn't go on that journey with him. Walk out of this place different than you walked in here. We're going to close this morning by singing one of our favorite songs here at Restore called Jesus, What a Savior. And as we sing, if, if you want to talk with someone about trusting Jesus with your life, even if you just have some questions about it. Me and our prayer team are gonna be right over there, that little banner that says prayer. Do you see it? We're going to be right over there. If you wanna just talk with someone about that, come over and talk with us about it. No pressure, no pushiness. Let's just talk. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus before, but you've kind of drifted away, and you're ready to jump back into that adventure with him, come talk to us. And if you'd just like to be prayed for about anything at all, come talk to us. We would love to do that. Stop letting things stop you from placing your faith in Jesus, from letting the resurrection not just change the world, but change you I get that it's a little scary, but the joy far outweighs it. So stand with me, and I'm going to pray.
God, thank you for your reckless love for us. Thank you that you didn't look down on the brokenness that existed and still exists in our world and just say they deserve it. They brought that on themselves. Thank you that you entered into it. That there are a lot of other little G gods out there. But you are the only one in recorded history who willingly laid your life down for your people, for your children. And thank you that you took it back up again on Easter Sunday morning and the triumph of the resurrection. We celebrate that together today. We are alive, as Matt said, we are alive because you are alive. We are resurrected because you are resurrected. It is your life, Jesus, within us by your Holy Spirit. So if any of us in this room are still waiting to place our faith in you, God, I pray that today would be the day we stop waiting. Today would be the day that we jump in. Today would be the day that we remember as having been forever changed. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.